The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Perro columns for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're having a chat with Jeremy Reed, Technical Director of Pursuit Minerals. It was listed back in August 2017 and trades under the code PUR or Papa Uniform Romeo. Scandinavia is very much its focus, firstly with vanadium projects in Sweden and Finland plugging the company into the traditional steel market for the metal, as well as Vanadium's forecast high growth use in Vanadium Redox batteries for the large scale storage of renewable energy. But the company has just stepped up its battery metals profile by securing an option to acquire three advanced nickel sulphide projects in Norway. More on that in a moment. First up, I'm going to say good day to Jeremy and welcome him to the show today. G'day Jeremy and thanks for your time. Hi Barry, it's good to be here. Okay, Jeremy, before jumping in to the company's Northern European battery uh, metals push, can I get you to give us a bit of a snapshot on your professional background and what led to you joining the company? Yeah, I've been involved in mineral exploration now for about 30 years. I spent most of the 1990s working for BHP, which was just a fantastic opportunity. I spent a lot of that time in Africa working on gold programs, but um, most relevant to what I'm doing at the moment, a large nickel project development in Western Tanzania. So I did that for several years and then came back to Australia in the early 2000s, worked for BHP across Australia for a couple more years and then uh, ventured into the junior space and we did, a, we did a deal with Falcon Bridge to acquire some nickel projects, uh, worked on those projects for a couple of years, went back to Africa picked up some copper projects, uh, put those through a feasibility study process and then got that company to a point where it looked like the project was going to move into production and I sort of moved on to a series of other companies, largely ASX listed and focusing on projects that had mineral resources where we could go in, build those resources, create value and take them through feasibility studies. So I guess that's largely... My background, you know, initially a lot of greenfields exploration with BHP and then more recently um, four, five ASX listed junior explorers focusing largely on projects with mineral resources and doing uh, feasibility studies. And the last one of those, uh, which we, we put together back in 2017, was, was Pursuit. And that initially started life with some zinc projects in northern Queensland and then we went off and we built this a really high quality portfolio of battery metals focused projects in Scandinavia. All right, well, deep and varied uh, experience there, and uh, interesting to see uh, the old firm BHP uh, recently nominating nickel as a, a metal they needed to uh, increase their exposure to, and Rio Tinto doing the same uh, just this week. So the battery metal space seems to be hotting up, even though uh, market conditions at the moment obviously have got people looking elsewhere, but. I was just wondering, before jumping into the, the company's Scandinavian projects, can you set the scene for us? Why battery metals? And particularly in the Schutz case, why in Northern Europe? 
I guess we saw Europe as a real opportunity because it's the most advanced market in terms of renewable energy. And you see Germany doing things like, you know, shutting down its nuclear power, phasing out coal by 2038. Uh, many countries mandated the fact that internal combustion engines are going to be outlawed by, well, I think the UK is 2035 and other countries are 20, uh, 2040. So, you know, there's this massive transformation happening in Europe. And most of the key metals that it needs for building batteries, nickel, vanadium, lithium, cobalt, you know, they come in from elsewhere, be it southern Africa. A lot of it comes out of Russia um, and out of China as well. So I guess what we saw was an opportunity to go and develop some more advanced projects in Scandinavia on the doorstep of an emerging market in Europe, but also working in countries that have very much an understanding of what's going to be required to fulfil this transformation over to renewable energy that Europe is going through at the moment. And they're just, you know, a decade or so or maybe more ahead of where we are in Australia. So we wanted to go into a market that was conducive to the sort of projects that we have and we would get the support from governments and, and other, I guess, regulatory bodies to develop some new industries. And that was the sort of thought process behind, you know, why battery metals and particularly why Europe. Mm. Norway, of course, interesting, um, big North Sea oil producer, but I understand, I think the penetration rate there of electric vehicles is uh, more than 40%. Yeah, I think it's I think it's now approaching 60. I was actually right. there a couple, mm. couple of weeks ago and, you know, the amount of Teslas and Audis, electric, or electric Audis you see driving around Oslo and, and elsewhere, it's just phenomenal. You sort of just look around and go, okay, this is just so different to what we have here in Australia. So, but it is an interesting conundrum in, in Norway. You know, they have this, this huge fossil fuel industry which they've made, you know, just trillions and trillions of dollars out mm. of. Um, but as a country, they're very much going, okay, that's the past and the future is all about renewable energy, um, electric vehicles, and, uh, and you know, they're, they're pushing down that path very rapidly and they have the highest uh, adoption rate of electric vehicles uh, anywhere on the planet and of course most of their power comes out of renewable sources so mm. you know Norway is, is very much in tune with okay we're going to have to change our our grids we're going to need storage and we're going to need batteries so you know it's a perfect place to have these sorts of projects. Mm. Just as a matter of interest given that uh, that penetration rate they've got when you're walking around Oslo. Can you can you feel the difference in the air, or do you have to be careful crossing the road because they're they're so quiet? These things. Um, yeah, do you notice are. that it is different to other cities? Um, I guess I don't notice the air quality as such because I think it's uh, it's close to the ocean. I mean, it's on a big mm. fjord, and you know, there's the wind, etc. It's always been uh, pretty pretty clean from. From an air quality perspective, but you definitely notice the difference uh, just in the vehicle fleet. I mean, that's the first thing that that you notice, um, and also the the advertisements that you see up around the city in, in terms of renewable energy and electric vehicles. And yeah, it's, it's a very it's a very different feel to the place. And you know, Scandinavia, I guess, because it's of its political system, is very different to Australia and a, a lot of the rest of the world as well. Um, so it's a yeah it's a it's a unique unique place and I guess 
what a lot of people don't appreciate is that they have very well developed mining industries in that in that part of the world, both you know Finland and in Sweden in particular, more so in Norway, it's on, on the fossil fuel side of things. And I guess what that means is someone like us who's prepared to go there, you can get access to really quality projects because there's, there's not heaps of competition from a minerals perspective in Norway, um, mm. but they have quality projects. So, you know, it's a good place to go. Okay, so that's a good point for, for us to... Uh get a rundown from you from uh, these three nickel projects that uh, you've uh, got options in terms of roughly where they're located and uh, infrastructure support that might be there, the resources, uh, the grades and um, the uh, the forward plan. So if you could yep. just give us a feel for all that. Yeah, for sure. I guess the the thing that underlines underlies these projects and just nickel more generally in Norway is, is the geological correlation between the southern part of Norway and the parts of Canada, Labrador, where Voices Bay exists, you know, one of the world's truly great nickel deposits. And while the while Voices Bay was forming, that part of North America and the southern part of Norway and that part of Northern Europe was uh, geologically quite close. And so the same sort of processes that occurred to form Voices Bay most probably occurred in, in Norway as well. And so you see similar types of nickel deposits, similar geological structures and similar geological history. So so then you look at that and say, well, in Norway, it's had a long-term nickel industry. You know, they were mining nickel 300 years ago and at the turn of the 1900s, approaching the 20th century, you know, they're the world's largest nickel producer. Mm. But the deposits are sort of medium size. You know, they're not, there's been no giant deposits found in Norway yet. Mm. Lots of medium-sized things but no giant ones. So there's no real geological reason as to why Norway shouldn't host giant nickel deposits. So, you know, that's the ultimate goal uh, is to go and find a really big one. But you've got the right geological setting and you've got a lot of medium-sized deposits. A lot of them have been in production in the past. And then there was quite a hiatus in through probably into the 80s and, and uh, late, late 90s where there wasn't a lot of project development working on nickel. And then it really started to pick up again and it got um, it really got smashed when the GFC came around. So these projects have sort of sat there for the last 10 years. Little bits and pieces of work have been done on them. Some really good targets have been generated. And then EMX, our partner, came in, picked them up and we've optioned the, the project. So... Mm-hmm. In terms of, we've got three projects there. Espadalen, I guess, is is the most advanced. There's a nice deposit there. It's called Stoimira. It's a bit over a million tonnes, 1% nickel, about 0.4 copper, and it's quite high in cobalt as well, 0.04% cobalt. So, you know, that is a really interesting deposit. It's not closed off. Uh, there's a central core to it, which is about 2 2.5%, so higher grade. And the opportunity that we see there is just to go in, make the resource bigger, follow down where the high-grade bit of it goes. And I guess that's my experience base with the sort of projects that we've run in the past in our ASX-listed companies is, you know, taking deposits, making them bigger, improving the economics of them and getting them to decision points. And then ultimately, you know, the goal is to put things into production. Mm-hmm. So Stoy Mirror is where we'll focus first. There's another deposit on Espadalen. Uh, called Darlin, it's much bigger, but it's a bit lower grade. So we'll we'll again 
we'll look at that from the perspective of, well, is there a million, two, three million tonnes of that that's higher grade in potentially economic? So that's the focus of that assessment. And then right. elsewhere on the project, there's there's 10 prospects where a company called Blackstone Ventures back in the 2000s, early 2000s, drilled 10 projects where they got at least five metres at greater than 1% nickel. And a lot of those prospects just haven't been followed up. The GFC came along, Blackstone stopped, yeah. and you know nothing has gone back. So we've got the ability on, on Espadalen to work on the resources, get them through to feasibility study stages, and then go and do uh, an exploration program to test some of these other targets as well. Um, you asked about the infrastructure and... These projects, you know, Espad Island's about three hours drive north of Oslo. You can mm-hmm. drive onto it, you know, Tarmac Road. There's grid power. There's a railway line about 20 k's away. And that railway line goes down to Oslo and then further south to where Glencore have a large nickel smelter. So not only in Norway do you have easy access, power, you've also got one of the world's biggest nickel smelters in the southern part of Norway. So a lot of really good infrastructure. So, you know, it's, it, that's a really good benefit for these projects. Just on that uh, Glencore smelter, is that from domestic supplies or do they import material? The, I think most of it comes out of Sudbury. Oh. So, yeah, most of it's imported. But, it, but again, you know, that's a really good reason to say, well, what sort of domestic supply can we, can we ultimately give to them? Um, and we believe we're going to get quite a lot of government support for developing what would be or reinvigorating, I guess is, is the best way of describing it, you know, uh, Norway's nickel industry because they've, they've had this long-term history with nickel and, mm. and we're at one stage, you know, the world's largest nickel producer. Mm. And the weather, uh, I guess some people sitting back in sunny Sydney or Perth, would be thinking that you'll have to shut down for half the year. Is that the case in where the location of these yeah. projects? Yeah, no, not not really. I mean, the, the Scandinavians, um, yeah, they're pretty good at dealing with cold weather, much better than I am. <laughs> um, and Norway's not, not too bad. I mean, the good thing about Norway is that all of the ports along the west coast of Norway, they're all ice-free. Uh, and the reason for that is the Gulf Stream basically comes up, you know, west, uh, eastern side of the United States and then, across the Atlantic and up around Scotland and Norway. And so it keeps all of those ports ice-free. So, you know, there's a lot of transport in and out of there. Scandinavians are used to dealing with snow. Uh, so, and most probably these these projects will be underground as well, not, not open pits. So from a weather point of view, yeah, they're just used to dealing with that sort of stuff in, in that part of the world. So, no, we'll, we will go 365 days a year and 24 mm. hours a day, ultimately. Okay. So uh, during this option period, what's the what's the plan in terms of work programs? Yeah, so initially uh, we put a drill program together for Stoy Mirror, which will be to follow up on that resource and, and chase the higher grade material. Um, so that will give us some really good news flow um, in the short term. Uh, we'll test some of these prospects of these five metres at more than 1% nickel uh, as part of that first drill program. And then the other pro- uh, the other project that we'll work on this year, I guess out of the three of them, is, is Sigdal. And Sigdal has got an electromagnetic conductor associated with nickel mineralisation, which they drilled previously two holes into. And one of those holes 
went a metre and a half at 0.4 nickel, 0.4 copper. But interestingly, it was over 10 grams a tonne gold. Mm. So when we looked at that, I thought, wow, that's really, that's really interesting. Um, you know, does it get bigger? How much thicker does that intersection get? You know, so you've got quite a large conductor there. And that's explained by the nickel and copper. But associated with this is this really high-grade gold. So, you know, it's a pretty easy thing just to go and pop a few more holes into that conductor and see if we can get some better widths because it's definitely got the grade. So that'll be the other thing that we want to do um, as quickly as we can. And to do that, there's a process like there is in Australia. You, know, you have to get work programs approved. You have to talk to local government officials. And our experience in both Sweden and, and Finland and what I see in Norway, it's a very similar system. It's a little bit different, but it's it's very similar. You know, we were able to get work programs through approved very expeditiously. So to give you an example, on our Arioki project in northern Sweden, we had tenements granted in August 2018, got the drill program approved. We drilled 3,000 metres in November, December by... March of 2019, we had finished a resource estimation and a scoping study and had the next round of drilling approved. So sort of six or seven months, we'd gone from picking up ground, doing a drill program, defining a resource, doing a scoping study, and then getting Mm -hmm. the next phase of work approved. So that's a good example Mm. of how quickly you can do things in Scandinavia. Okay. Now, uh, just to backpedal a bit, uh, vanadium, that's obviously still part of the portfolio. What's the what's the forward plan there? Yeah, so we got the Arioki project in northern Sweden to uh, a technical decision point through doing the scoping study. I mean, we've got quite a large resource there. Uh, produces a very high-grade vanadium magnetite concentrate. And so having got the project to that technical point, now we're looking for to bring in a partner who I guess has the project development experience and, and broader experience in the vanadium industry uh, to help us take that project through the next stage. So it's really about finding the right partner for that project to, to take it through a feasibility study. Um, we've had some initial discussions with, uh, with the government in Sweden. They are incredibly supportive of developing a vanadium industry. Mm-hmm. There's been uh, a battery, a large scale battery plant has been built in northern Sweden. It's a, it's a lithium plant um, or producing lithium batteries. And, you know, the government does want to develop the manufacturing capability for vanadium batteries as well. And for that, they need the raw feed. So, you know, they're very keen to see these projects move forward and get to uh, into production because they, they very much believe that they want to do the, in, the complete value chain. So they want to go from mining to refining to manufacturing you know batteries to selling them so it's a quite a different philosophy to to what we have here in australia where we're happy to you know do the mining and then send off the downstream processing to get done somewhere else well the value add (laughs) yeah absolutely and you, you know you talk to the government and that's really what they're focused on. They're saying, okay, you know, we, we don't want you just to make a vanadium magnetite mm. concentrate and send that off to China. We want you to develop that into vanadium flake and then hopefully someone then can take that. We'll build vanadium batteries here in Sweden. And, of course, you know, for a junior company that's got that sort of philosophy, has got 
implications in terms of the capex you need. So that's when you can have conversations with the government along the lines of, well, if you want us to do this, what sort of support can we get from you in terms of helping finance? So that's that's a bit down the track for us. The, the next stage is, uh, you know, a pre-feasibility study and we want to bring in a partner to help us uh, develop those for the, uh, the Vanadium portfolio. Right. So you've got a lot on the go there. Um, but I do notice the market cap of $2.6 million. Um, I dare say if those nickel... Uh, projects were in WA somewhere, you'd probably be twenty or thirty million. What, what's going on there with the discount? Is it is there a Scandinavian discount? Yeah, look, I've worked in Scandinavia a couple of times back in um, 2011, 2012, 2013 on a, a copper magnetite project, and you do feel a bit of the tyranny of distance. You know, it's it's a long way from Australia. It's a long way from WA in particular. You know, the centre of the nickel industry in Australia, and I think the Australian market has a view that, well, Scandinavia is a long way away. We don't know much about it. How many Australian companies have been there and actually made successes uh, in terms of project development or, or you know, investment successes for, for their shareholders? And there's been a few. You know, there's been a few companies that have been able to go to Scandinavia, uh, do good work and create value for, for their shareholders. But, you know, there's not tens of them. You know, it's probably mm-hmm. single-digit companies. So what we need to do is we need to show people that Scandinavia as a destination is one of the best places you can go. I mean, Finland has a highly developed mining industry and so does Sweden. A lot of Sweden's prosperity has come out of copper mining and and, uh, magnetite mining in northern Sweden. So they have very well-developed infrastructure. You know, you're up above the Arctic Circle, but... There's tarmac roads everywhere, there's grid power, there's towns of 20,000 people. Um, you know, in comparison to developing a new project in WA where a lot of them have to build their own power stations, mm. you know, the cost of power coming out of one of those things is maybe 30, 35 cents a kilowatt hour. For industrial uses in Sweden, it's like six or seven cents a kilowatt hour because you're oh. tapping into the grid. Mm. So I, I think there's there's just not that general understanding that, Scandinavia is a good place to go. There's good infrastructure. There's quality projects. You've got supportive governments. And you also have communities there that their livelihood depends on mining. Um, So there's a lot of understanding of the mining process, but there's also very experienced workforces. And the other thing about Scandinavia, I guess that people view, they have this, oh, well, Scandinavia is expensive. And you know, it's it's on a par, I would have thought, with living in Sydney. I don't think it's any more expensive than living in Sydney, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're highly mechanised operations. So you have this substantial experience base of people in that part of the world that run highly mechanised mines. You know, they're the most efficient mining operations in the world, uh, some of these mines in Sweden and Finland. So all of those factors are really positive and what we've got to do is the challenge for us is to show the market, hey, you know, Scandinavia is a good place to go and you can create real value there for shareholders and, yep, it's cold, it's snowy, it's not the end of the world, it's a really good place to go and develop projects. And I guess uh, subject to uh, some results coming through, the market always follows good results wherever they are, um, be it Africa or Scandinavia or Mongolia for that matter. So. Well, uh, you've given us a great rundown on the strategy and uh, 
what's to come. So thanks for your time today, Jeremy, and we wish you all the best with it. Good luck. Yeah, great. Thanks very much, Barry. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.